Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Hi, this is Chris Howard from Lace Partners. This is a quick intro into the podcast that we've got for you today. This is actually a podcast that was recorded before the current global pandemic uh, affected us all. And so you will have seen and heard plenty of the podcasts that we've been running in real time because of the coronavirus and some of the impacts that it's had on HR teams. But I think today's podcast that we've got for you is an interesting one because whilst it was recorded before the the coronavirus hit globally. Uh, there's a lot of interesting topics in there, which I still think are very, very relevant. Uh, Jig Ramji is my guest, and he is the group head of talent at the London Stock Exchange Group. Uh, it was a really, really good chat. We had a talk about HR on the offensive, the uh, white paper that was written in 2019, also about a few topics such as how HR teams can use data to evidence and leverage their, their position within a business and uh, to influence and affect uh, people's strategy moving forward. So I hope you enjoy this uh, podcast. Um, if you'd like to subscribe, you can do so through all of the usual channels. If you've got any questions for us, then please feel free to drop me an email. It's chris at lacepartners.co.uk. But here's the chat that I had with Jig uh, from the London Stock Exchange Group uh, in the beginning of 2020. Hi, it's Chris Howard here from the HR on the Offensive podcast, um, and I am with Jig Ramji. Uh, Jig, how are you doing? You all right? Very well, thank you. Jig, we're going to talk about HR on the Offensive because you were one of our contributors. Yes. Um, so, yes. but before we do that, and before I start to delve into some of the, the elements, uh, maybe pick out a couple of bits that you sure. think resonated with you, can you just give us a little bit of background as to yourself, your career, trajectory in the, in the HR profession? Yeah, sure. Of course. Um, all started quite a long time ago now. I always forget that because I always kind of see myself as one of the more youthful people in the room, but that's clearly not the case anymore. <laughs> Probably close to 20 years now, uh, I stumbled upon a degree in psychology, which wasn't meant to happen because it was all meant to be down a legal route, which for whatever reason never transpired. Yeah. And then I ended up uh, working in recruitment, like so many of us do. Yeah. Taking the psychology background, occupational psychology, it was all textbook. Did a whole heap of assessment work, but then realized it was very niche. Then decided to go back two steps, do a graduate graduate role with a company called Fujitsu. Fantastic experience, worked uh, in loads of roles, both HR and other functions too. But that was my first taste of working in an HR department both centers of expertise, reward, mm. communications, and then HR business partner. And you've got the bug. You've got the HR bug. Well, do you know, ironically, it, it was one of those moments where I, I did really enjoy it, but then I really wanted to do something a little bit different. Yeah. Uh, and if I kind of reflect deeply, I wanted to be more, I wanted to work on the commercial side a bit more. Um, I ended up working on quite a few bids with Fujitsu because they're kind of a first line outsourcing organization. And so they, they'd often have a lead HR person on their bids. I really like that side of the role. And yeah. so I thought, well, imagine I could do that 90% of the time or 100% of the time. Um, and so I ended up going to Deloitte to be a human capital consultant. Right. And that's where effectively that love affair with HR and HR transformation properly began in the sense of this aspiration for HR to be very much that leading force uh, within an organization. And then that reality hit. Was working at an organization where... HR was firmly at 
the, the, the boardroom table at Fujitsu, thought that was the norm. The more organizations I then spent time with as a result of working as a consultant at Deloitte, realized, wow, that, that was not the case. Yeah. And, and that, that almost drove me into thinking, right, how do we really push this function um, into where it should be? And, yeah. and, and, and today that still exists, that passion for the function to be truly seen as a, a critical function um, and, a, and a function that drives the company agenda. Yeah. Okay. And so post uh, Deloitte, what happened next? So probably around 2008, 2009, um, having lived in London for a number of years, my wife, who was not my wife at the time, got a role out in, uh, in Australia. Um, and it was one of those classic scenarios where she came home and said, I've just been offered this role. It's amazing. But they want me to go next month. Or in the next two weeks. I think it was actually the next two weeks rather than a And so she said, probably, things. probably not going to do it. Probably not going to do it. It's too crazy. And I think I just said, we should do it. And so we ended up moving to Australia, um, moved to Sydney in 2009, 2010, still stayed at Deloitte for a, for, for a period of time, and then joined an, an investment bank called Macquarie, working predominantly as almost an internal consultant. So um, they, they, they had an internal consulting uh, function and working on transformation, both HR, finance, all the corporate functions, basically. Ended up doing that for a period of time. And then my wife was offered a role in Singapore. Um, so again, training spouse, take two. Moved, <laughs> moved over to Singapore, stayed with Macquarie for a short period of time. Although that just wasn't really sustainable because the head office was in Sydney. And so in 2012, in Singapore, I joined Bloomberg. Right. Okay. And that was that was a long chapter. So from 2012 to 2020, I was at Bloomberg, uh, worked in Singapore, Hong Kong, and then came back to the UK. Three different roles: regional head of HR for all of our revenue businesses, then a global head of HR or HRD for all of our middle and back office, and then the last role I had there was uh, head of talent, um, which was based in London, but it was a global role. Yeah. Okay. And. Let's talk challenges then. Is there anything from your career, I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot a little sure. bit, that you can pick out that you found as a particular challenge from a HR perspective um, that would be worth sharing with the listeners that we've got? A challenge for HR or a challenge for me? Challenge for you. Yeah. Uh, and then we'll do a challenge for oh, HR. How good. about that? Okay. Yeah, that sounds well, great. I think that will probably touch on that HR on the offensive stuff actually yeah. as well. So. I think, again, you know, I, I touched on it, Chris, in the sense that when I first worked at Fujitsu, and never had to battle for position in the sense of working with senior leaders who kind of saw HR as a critical part of their strategy and, and, their, and their leadership function. And then moving to organizations such as Bloomberg initially uh, in 2012, where HR was never seen in that way. And so one of the biggest challenges I first had when I moved into a HR role again on the corporate side in 2012 was that realization that, wow, if, if, if HR is not at the table and that reputation brand isn't quite there, how much effort and work for anyone within the function to actually even move it forward and, mm. and be given the chance and the opportunity to, to truly be seen as a strategic asset to the organization. Mm. And so in 2012, I, I really kind of had one of those classic moments where I was like, whoa, I'm not walking into this role and I'm not going to be invited to the top table because actually the reality is we've never been at the top table. Mm. And so whereas when you work in consultancy, it's very simple. 
you're paying the money, you're expecting results, you're invited to the top table. If you're in an organization where HR is seen as a critical asset, you're invited to the top table. This was for the first time where I had that role to play in actually transforming HR's brand and reputation. Yeah. And for me, that was big. So just, I know obviously you've obviously spent most of your recent time in Bloomberg, but you've been consulting before that. Um, how many would you say in your experiences, how many businesses, big businesses that you've come across actually do put HR at the top table? Do you think it's a minutiae? And this is kind of, again, what yeah. you touched on in the report, isn't it? Because it's the, you know, HR needs to step up. Yeah, that's a, it's a good question. Um, I, I mean, look, it's 2020 now. Yeah, so you're talking about 12 years ago. Uh, right? uh, no, sorry, 2012. Eight, 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 eight years ago. Um, I think the reality is, I, I think that the organisations... I'm not properly answering your question, but I'll come back to it. That's all right. I think the I think the organization needs something to happen to it in order for the HR function to either be given the chance to shine and or the organization to say, we need HR professionals who can shine. And so for for an organization like Bloomberg, it was critical that the Asia Pacific region became a equal partner to the Americas and Europe. And therefore, they realize that in order for us to transform that business, and so true transformation in the sense of what I'd done, whether it was at Deloitte for different organizations, but true sense of transformation. And when you go through something like that, all of a sudden, HR becomes this like critical partner to mm-hmm. achieving the goals. And I remember in the first two, three years, we, we transformed the brand of HR in Asia and globally because we had to, because we needed that region to outperform because we knew that Europe and the Americas was going to slow down in terms of growth and all uh, all expectations pointed to Asia. So that was like that critical point or inflection point that yeah. the organization needed for it for it to realize we need we need a strong HR function. Yeah. And so I think as long as as an organization goes through something like that and that could be a cost saving initiative, that could be digital transformation now, it could be um, much more emphasis on mergers and acquisitions. I think it needs something like that. Yeah. So I, I genuinely think that the I would say at least 50 to 60% of organizations will, especially, especially large organizations, will now need HR at the top table. But we've we've got to also understand that there are still many small, smaller organizations or medium-sized organizations which may not have been through that critical point yet. Yeah. And still some very large organizations who have been very, very successful. Yeah. And therefore, I've never had that um, inflection point, which is required. Yeah, what I thought was interesting, what you said a minute ago, was this idea of um, changing the HR brand. This kind of almost taking it from a marketing sort of perspective. It's that internal brand piece. There's obviously something that needs to be done. You, you know, you're talking about in 2012, and we're still having the conversation in 2020. There's obviously something that needs to happen. There's something that HR needs to do to take, you know, learnings, practices from other parts of the business. And one of the things that you actually say in the HR on the offensive report. I'm going to read your quote out to you, and um, you can expand. I'm it. smiling so, because I realise you're going to read my career. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we need to think of our customer. Uh, sorry, our employees as customers. HR is a service provider and should be commercial. If we were a vendor, could we compete in a crowded market selling our products and services? So that's interesting because it's kind of looking at this idea of the internal customer point of view. Which is, is would you say that's something that perhaps hasn't been a HR trait compared to perhaps other? Uh, functions uh, it's, it's 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 almost my mantra at the moment yeah uh, when i when i first took over the role um as as head of uh, talent at bloomberg it was something i talked about all the time this notion of 
almost this convergence of skill sets that are now required within HR. And this whole notion of branding and marketing our services and products is is something I'm really passionate about. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost converging marketing and HR in a way that I think will almost become the most important asset for an organization going forward. And the reason I strongly believe in this so much, uh, I'll use a a layperson example. I, I didn't know that I was going to love the iPod when it came out. I had no idea and still probably don't know why I do love the iPod, but I did, you know, definitely did love the iPod and now love my iPhone. And it was that whole suite of branding around why this was so important to you. It, it told me the story. It told me the why this was so important to me. HR has never done that before. Mm. And I think it's crazy. And, and, and I've, I've actually written an article about it um, quite recently where we almost forget between HR and the most senior leaders of an organization, why we've created certain services and products. Let's take leadership development as an example. And we love it. You know, all these HR people are going, I love this leadership development strategy that we've created. Senior leaders love it. And, you know, this high-fiving as we develop this and roll it out. And then we forget about the, the employee or the customer or the, or the potential future leader. And we don't tell them why why this is important. We don't journey. Don't yeah, we don't we don't the educate them on that journey. We don't educate them on the why this is important. So we don't we don't help them to understand why they should love what we're doing. And I think HR has never done that. Yeah. Because I think, sadly, it doesn't feel that it needs to. And the reality is being hidden in a secret world between the boardroom, the most senior leaders, and the HR floor is is not really how the world is anymore yeah. that transparency that understanding of why something's important is as important to a customer when they're buying a product but also to an employee when when they're thinking about an hr service or a product do you think it's you talked about hr being sort of in between you know in that in between that middle ground uh, that middle place in the world do you think that's because of the types of people that tend to get employed in HR positions. And again, this is talking on this kind of the, the touching on the yeah. idea of being more commercial. Is there a question as to whether the types of human beings that need to move into HR positions need to be that type of person? Is that a, can you train that sort of into an existing HR group of HR professionals? Or is that something where you think perhaps HR needs to look outside of traditional mm. areas where you'd find that, atypical HR professional? I think it, the, the biggest challenge, I think, historically, when, when you look at some of the most senior people who work in, in the HR industry today, whether that's here in Europe or in North America, it, HR began life as, in, in, the, in the truest possible way, a, a risk, risk manager mm -hmm. or a risk mitigation expert. And then all of a sudden it was, the function almost expanded it almost organically and people didn't quite realize that actually what we're at, what we're asking of this department is not now not just to manage risk but to innovate to be the catalyst to change to lead transformation if you kind of look at the journey of what where some of those most senior leaders came from they were true risk managers and bloody good ones mm. and that's how they really showed their worth to an organization because they protected that brand and protected that organization. And then all of a sudden you're being asked to do so many different things. 
and and they're almost at a uh, at loggerhead to some extent. Innovate, but manage the risk. Yeah, it's crazy. It's almost the the, the antithesis of one another. And so I think um, when we were talking about the white paper and uh, the time I spent talking through my view on the future of HR, I genuinely think the function get up is being asked to do too many things. Yeah. And so the reality is, does does the term HR even resonate anymore? Because in reality, when if you're working in a talent function, are you doing something completely different to a function like employee relations, who are really managing grievances and disciplinaries and so forth? They're super different. Mm. And yet they sit under the one umbrella of HR. And yet, if you look at some of the other corporate functions, they may not necessarily have such dichotomous groups. Yeah. And so I think in answer to your question, yes, of course you can develop people in a certain way. But I think the, the, the answer to the question is, do you just develop the ones that you need to lead on the innovation and transformation in that way and continue to have a risk management function that is much more traditional without the expectations that, you know, papers like HR and Defensive sometimes uh, allude to. Okay, interesting. And I'm going to ask you one more question before we wrap up. How good, it's quite an open question, so uh, feel free to just uh, spitball if you like. How good is HR at effectively utilising data that it has? You, you, you must have read my other quote too. <laughs> I genuinely haven't actually. Do you know what? I probably should. <laughs> Go on. Uh, this, this, is, this is the one really um, that, again, I think the function really needs to, to, to gravitate towards. So if every organization in the world thinks about the next 10 to 15 years, the, the two demands that they're going to place on all of their functions, not just HR, is having the best enabling technology and deriving insight from data. And if HR does not think about that as a critical piece, then I think we'll be left way, way behind the curve. Now, interestingly, when people say, well, it's not, I'm not really that type of person who can analyze data. For me, that's, that's not where the winning post is. The winning post for me is, how do you think about the infrastructure that you have within your function? So Mm -hmm. whether it's HR or whomever it may be. And that infrastructure of how we collect data, the quality of that data, the integrity of that data, mm. that's the bit that we need to, to really focus on. So kind of going back to the, the Bloomberg example, when I took on the head of talent role, the other piece that I really wanted to emphasize to my team and to the organization was, let's really think about what talent data is. What is the talent data we're collecting? How does that help us derive insight longer term um, for the organization? And do we have the right governance structures in place to ensure that the integrity of that data is high quality? Because let's not let's not fool around. We're not expected to analyze that data. We've got this amazing function of people, of data analysts, who can do everything that we need. We just need to create the infrastructure and then need to tell the story once they've done the analysis. And so for me, if we can get the data, the technology, and the convergence of skill sets correct, there is no doubt in my mind that HR will be at the top table. I was just, you know, what I was just gonna, I was almost gonna say exactly the same thing. That's the key, isn't it? If you think about uh, those people that sit on boards, you know, that's the info. They they don't have access to all of the qualitative information that you as a HR function will have. 
So they're going to need, if they need information, they need information quickly. How's it affecting the bottom line? How's it affecting us as a business? Let's go down to metrics and numbers and keep this simple. And the best way of doing that is utilizing the data that you have and then also being able to position it and articulate it properly as well. I think that's important. There's no doubt. And, and you know, in, in my other capacity of being on a couple of boards, when I don't have that to be able to make objective decisions, it's certainly harder. And mm. I, I demand it. I'll say, well, what does the data say? And still we're finding time and time again that it's, the quality is just not there and then the reliability is not there. Brilliant. Jig, thank you very, very much for being on the podcast thank today. Um, it's been really, really good to hear your views, your insights, some of the thoughts from the HR on the Offensive white paper as well. Um, if you would like to uh, subscribe and listen to more of the podcast, you can do. We're on iTunes, we're on Spotify as well. Uh, there'll be a few of the other uh, channels that we'll be on. Um, uh, I think we're on, well, we are on SoundCloud as well. But uh, if you'd like to follow Lace Partners, you can you can search for us on LinkedIn too um, and on Twitter we are Lace Partners it's at Lace Partners as well Jig do you want do you, are you on socials do you want to give a shout out to yourself I know you're on LinkedIn but they can just uh, search I'm, for I'm on LinkedIn and um, I think my Twitter handle is at Jigram GHR brilliant thank you very much thank you